0: Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today I'm joined by Josh Adams. Present. And we have a special guest today, who is Eric Ostrich. Hello. Eric, you've been here before. Uh, we're glad to have you back. Um, can you just, uh, in case people have kind of missed uh, our previous talk and uh, discussion with you, could you give a little introduction to yourself and just kind of what you're doing?
1: Sure, uh, so I work at Smart SmartLogic, uh, we do web and mobile development um, and I also have a, bit, a side project called Xventure and a different one called Grapevine, uh, they're both uh, open source Elixir applications uh, centered around uh, text-based games.
2: This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. It has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Well, that is cool. Yeah, because we've
0: had you on before. Um, uh, You and I, we met at at ElixirConf and you were presenting there. And uh, we've had some really great discussion just at a table and I was like, "Oh man, I, we've got to have you on." And you'd, uh, I, you shared some interesting insights with me on, on things like using Prometheus uh, for instrumenting our applications. So part of this is we want to just get an update with where things are with X Venture, and and also just talk about some of the other, the, the topics around that and all, all the things that you've been doing and learning.
1: Yeah. Um... So for better or worse, uh, Xventure hasn't progressed terribly far. Uh, I've done a lot of refactors, um, learning uh, what a bad Elixir app looks like and making it look like (laughs) a good Elixir app. (laughs) Um, So not not too terribly much new features. Um, The other reason would be that uh, the other project called Grapevine has uh, sucked up all of my time. Um, which is a, which was and now is, uh, so it's a chat chat network for text based games. So they connect to a web socket and then it's more or less Phoenix channels, but without the Phoenix channels part. Um, so that some random Python server doesn't have to deal with Phoenix channels. But um, uh, so there's that, and now it's turning into more of a game listing website. Uh, and the most recent addition is a, a uh, web client that lets you connect to telnet-based games. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> We're bringing it old school. <laughs>
0: so I do think it's worth mentioning just um, for any of those in our audience who haven't heard about Exaventure before. So this is a... One of the things that impressed me about it is it is a, it's a fairly large, like non-trivial open source application that happens to be... It, so it's web-based. Uh, it's, you know, it's using Phoenix. It's Using channels, but it's a text-based game, and I thought that was you know super cool at the time, just because it's like wow, like that is like very retro, and but it's but it, you were just kind of having fun playing with it and saying like you know what can I what can I do how can I build this, and uh, and so I just want to mention to people like what X Venture is, and that it is worth uh, being aware of because it has benefited both Josh and myself is as a reference for using different ideas and just kind of looking at uh, like how, like when I met you at the conference, you were talking about Prometheus and using, and, and using, you know, getting that data and, and representing in Grafana and like kind of getting instrumenting an app. Yep. And, and I was really impressed with that. And like, yeah, you just gotta use Prometheus EX, There's this library. And it's like, uh, so Josh, you said you recently did something uh, around Prometheus, right?
3: Not supremely recently, but yeah, uh, when I was doing some Prometheus stuff for a, a project for a customer, uh, I had not done Prometheus and Elixir before, and I happened to remember that Xventure had, and uh, so I, I dug through the code base and, and found all the, the various Prometheus libraries for Elixir and, and wired stuff up, and it went pretty swimmingly. It was like two hours, and, and I had stuff reporting.
0: That is really cool. Uh, So I think it's just probably worth mentioning just uh, what Prometheus is. Prometheus is a uh, it's a go application that uh, can be set up to pull your application or other services and pull them for statistics and information. And then uh, like a service like Grafana can talk to Prometheus and visualize all the stats and information that's coming out of there.
1: Yeah, what, I guess one important thing to reiterate is it's poll-based instead of like StatsD, which is push-based. Um, so if if your application can't be talked to from Prometheus, all it does is lose um, uh, forgot the word <laughs> uh, granularity or yeah something like that. So it just loses it, the granularity of of how often it polls. So like you still get metrics, and if a hiccup happens, like it'll catch it later. Um, so, yeah, yeah,
0: that's cool. So, um, so with X Venture, uh, you had, you recently had a blog post where you're just kind of giving a, a project, a product update or project update. And uh, so w- why don't you tell us again, like a little bit more about gossip and Grapevine and how you're using those and what kind of where they fit in and, and why, uh, like, you know, where other people might be interested in using those.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're probably not about to integrate this into anything you do day to day. But they're also there and available as they're all, all, all of these things are MIT licensed. Um, so there, there kind of exist to be applications to go and see what someone else is doing. Um, so Gossip and Grapevine used to be two separate applications. The split was fairly confusing for people in the text-based community, uh, so then I merged them on to just be Grapevine. Um, so now it's it's less weird uh, as well. <clears throat> um, but there's uh, the reason that you would want to use that with XVenture is you can sign in to XVenture with Grapevine. Um, so Grapevine has its own OAuth provider. Um, I wasn't able to use an existing one out there because of some funky things with my data. Namely that, yeah, I reuse some client ID stuff from the, the a different table than the, the one I found uses. But, um, yeah, so you can click a, a sign in with grapevine button on and your X venture after giving it your client ID and secret and then goes off to grapevine says, do you, you want to authorize? Yes. No. If you click yes, it goes back and then you're signed in. Um, so that's, that's the primary reason. Um, starting to get closer to things like achievements so that you can register your character on a remote game and then the game will manage achievements and whenever you unlock something, it'll go tell Grapevine that you unlocked it so you can have a centralized profile, uh, increase your, your wonderful uh, Grapevine score, whatever it ends up being called. Uh, game, gamify everything, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And I know
0: you've also um, been involved with doing CI, uh, yep. setting up some of that. Um, I'm curious, like, um, you're not, like, what does what your back end infrastructure kind of look like for this? Like, if someone is coming to Elixir and they're saying, hey, you know, I'd like to set up a CI server, what, what solution did you choose to go with?
1: Uh, so I went with Travis CI. Um, primarily because it's free for open source and I happen to have an open source project. <laughs> nice. um, so Xventure and Grapevine both run through uh, Travis. Um, you can look at, there's a YAML, I think is what it is in the root repo. Um, and so you can see all the steps that it does to set up. Um, it, it installs depths, installs hex, et cetera and then does like mixed test, uh, mix credo. And then I also started, for Xventure, started generating a full release and pushing it out to S3 when it's done on the master branch. Um, so that way, <coughs> hopefully it's easier to eventually <laughs> have someone just download that release, place it somewhere, and have an Xventure server booted um, that's like set up for production. Um, uh grapevine also now runs um the 16 javascript tests i have <laughs> i think that's the current number
0: <laughs> i have um, never. i have always been like wanting to do javascript tests you know and it's like just like so tedious it's like painful it's like unless it's just pure business logic
1: yeah this all this does is test reducers so <laughs> yeah.
0: and that's all i've uh, really found the best way to what, what of what i really want to test
1: yep yeah i figure that the reducers were a pretty good um, – so Grapevine has a – the web client is in Redux and React, um, which is my first time giving that a go. Um, and uh, so that uses – or sorry, those tests – test the re- reducer functions since that – at least hopefully the view is funct- – or what, um, is a uh, straight – sorry? Here? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the, the views are pure, right? So that it just changes based on what the data is. So if I if I test the, the reducers, then hopefully uh, I don't have to test front end. So we'll see.
3: <laughs> well, testing the front end has never been hard, has it?
1: Um, <laughs> you could say that, I guess. <laughs> oh, man.
0: I, I hope you're just trolling.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. It's the worst thing ever.
0: So, Eric, one of the questions I wanted to to ask was about how, how easy or difficult do you feel it was getting uh, an Elixir project set up with a CI server?
1: Uh, so it was, um, I previously had Xventure running on Travis, so I had a bit of a, a head start with that, um, but I think it took 11 commits and like four hours, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which in the grand scheme of CI is, is really not that bad.
3: Um, do you remember what the, uh, what the pain points were?
1: Uh, a lot of it was just booting Postgres ten um, and figuring out exactly what Travis needed to not run Postgres nine. Um, so if if you're if you're better able to control what that version is, I think it cut it down significantly. Um, I actually think Grapevine itself worked in one commit, which is like uh, unheard of. I think. <laughs> Uh, mostly that was me copy-pasting exactly what I had already done. Uh, so I had a bit of a head start there.
3: Yeah, I've, I've set up Elixir CI stuff uh, quite a bit with different providers. And yes, absolutely, I, I go and copy-paste previous thing uh, yep. rather than go from first principles again. I, th- I thought I'd mention, because um, I like these guys a lot, the, uh, the folks at Simaphore, um have just launched a new CI product that's, that's rather neat. That we're using for some for some fun stuff and it has pipelines. I'm sure Travis has had pipelines for a year or so as well. Um, but for for um sort of kicking off future tasks either via a click in the UI or based on, hey, was this a commit to master, et cetera? Um I only wanted to mention something other than Travis because uh I don't I don't know if you'd seen, but Travis like this week laid off a lot of really talented developers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we use um Jenkins at work.
3: Um That's its own nightmare. Yep, although yep. I love it. I'm excited about Jenkins. Uh Jenkins has like a um uh sort of cloud native Jenkins that are uh they're working on that uses Jenkins X or is Jenkins X, I forget. Um but uh really excited for, for the chance to test that out because I, I do like Jenkins a whole lot and I like the idea of hosting my own uh as long as I don't have to host my own the way I historically have hosted Jenkins.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we we uh, have also I think worked with Circle CI or no? Um, GitLab has their own runners that you can run. You can so you can run locally, but they manage like actual kickoff of the test run. Um, so one of our projects uses that, and I think there's another one out there that has a similar runner. Um, yeah, I
3: really like the way that that GitLab does it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm. It's on my short list of things to do for, for DevOps is setting up our, our, uh, a locally, you know, an internal GitLab server so we can do our own CI and CD that way.
3: Yeah, not, not Elixir-related at all, but Semaphore has, in beta now, they have a um, uh, Mac OS build machine that you can use, which is super-duper useful if you want to, say, I don't know, do a continuous delivery of test builds of a Flutter app.
0: What would you know about that? I mean...
3: <laughs> I know that it was really painful to set up initially, but now it's just on autopilot.
0: And that was using what tool? Uh,
3: Semaphore. Semaphore, and their uh, beta. I don't even know that they've announced it yet. So oops, but uh, they're, they have an OS 10 machine coming.
0: I know. I've worked in uh, environments where we had mobile apps, and they had, uh, you know, internal, internally done. I'm not sure what. I wasn't aware of what exact system they were. It was that they were using, but they were doing it like on what are those little Apple devices. Internet. The Mac mini. Yeah. They had like a internal, like Mac mini using for builds. like as that old. is the
3: standard default CI machine for OS 10.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep.
3: Yeah. You mean so, they're not using the garbage
1: can? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be a waste of GPU. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, great that you've made the effort even to uh, set up like testing and CI on an open source project. Like one that's, you know, obviously some open source projects, we, we really need that. But like you, you could argue, oh, this is just a hobby. This is just for fun. But I know you've also been using uh, your project, X Venture as a, t- a playground for testing features that were something or, or, or approaches that you wanted to use perhaps internally at, at your company. Uh, can you just kind of talk briefly about that?
1: Yeah, so that was primarily where, especially early on X-Venture was uh, a lot of kind of where I pushed to was like, oh, I've heard of ETS. What, what is that? Let's figure out how to use that. <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of stuff like that. And it actually started out like, I don't remember if I told this the story last time, but I accidentally stumbled into writing a MUD <laughs> um, because I wanted to figure out how Rancher worked. Uh, which is the Cowboys TCP acceptor. Um, so I started, a. They, it's called a protocol. So I started a ranch protocol and like had an echo server up and then it was a chat server. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I've always wanted to write a mud and a year and a half later, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's great. Yeah. That, that's the, the hazards of playing around, right? Like, Oh, yep. <laughs> I wonder if I can make it do this.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then our, Um, uh, us playing around with Prometheus actually was started through uh, I had like a day or two for professional development at work kind of in between projects and it's like oh like we know that we need to move off of New Relic because they're killing their free version so like let's let's see what else is out there and like we've heard of Prometheus so let's like go do that in in like an elixir project Eric Um, so that's that's how that that whole thing got started Um, was just like trying new things out and seeing how it fits into an like an existing real world application mm-hmm.
0: i do think there's value in that of just having side projects uh just if for nothing else than to explore and uh work with um you know trying out new technology
3: without because, stress. yeah <laughs> yes
0: because there's no there's no, not necessarily any deadline and it's like can i make this work and what does that feel like as a developer? Like what kind of, what's the, the experience like? And, and, and do I like it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was joking about um, with my, with my coworkers as like, I was looking at my analytics one day and saw someone like two people were on, were on the website. So I was like, help. What do I do? I have users. This is a side project. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Raise venture capital.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine there's too much ready to head into text-based gaming, but may, maybe it's out there.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You could, you know, integrate with the, like an AR, like augmented reality, HoloLens, kind of like people walking around, seeing little text going up along the screen. <laughs>
1: That's true. There, people have, have uh, whether they were joking or not, talked about uh, MUDs in VR. Uh, but I think it's more you put the VR on and you're sitting in front of a computer.
3: <laughs> one, of the, one of the favorite things that I did when I was, I don't know, like, that's probably eight years ago. There was a, a guy I knew from the open source world that was pretty young. He was uh, not out of high school yet. And he was, he'd been begging anyone to give him any kind of project to work on in Ruby. And so I paid him to write a graphical layer that just interpreted the uh, Ruby hero game and produced uh, like a GUI for it just with some openly available tall sets. And that was really fun. And I, I thought that would be a fun thing to uh to pursue at some point on top of something like X venture, but I, I didn't think it enough to actually do it.
1: Yeah, there's a um, there. I know there's at least one existing project that is set up so that, the way they define the data, it's set up so that it's like in the world in 3D, but it gets spit out as text so that eventually when he writes the the client that can read that data, like you can put on your headset and like see the cup sitting on the desk, like where it's supposed to be. So yeah, it's definitely doable.
3: That sounds like the Dwarf Fortress approach to a text-based game.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> We, uh, I think last time we, I, I mentioned um, the Elixir Lang server, and that led us to uh, Aldrich and he he's doing um, specifically Dwarf Fortress in Elixir. That's multiplayer, so called Dwarf Dwar Elixir.
0: So you'd mentioned um, that that you know even at work you had like these like free time that was kind of like set up to say that you could experiment with things or like, hey, could you try this technique, uh, this using this technology in your, in your, you know, pr- in your ex- project. So uh, let's just mention again that you work for Smart Logic, And you guys are doing some interesting new stuff now. And I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about what you're doing there. Like one in particular is that you're uh, doing live coding on, on
1: Twitch. Yeah, so we started at the beginning of January. Um, every Monday at twelve PM Eastern. Um, I do an hour of streaming on either uh Xventure or Grapevine. So it's all open source stuff, so there's no worrying about showing secret code that I'm not supposed to. Um uh yeah, so I just I, I pick a thing that I want to do that time. So this week's in particular was uh, setting up TLS connections for games so that it's not through plain text, which is what Telnet is. Um, so there's at least a, a secure wrapper around that Telnet. Um, so I went through sort of figuring out how the SSL Erlang application works and how to connect to it and um, how it's pretty similar to Gen TCP, but just sends different messages. Um, the one before that, I think I did a bit with clustering. Um, so I I, I peeled a, a, essentially a supervision tree out into its own Erlang application, and then Erlang node, um, and you can watch me uh, only take thirty minutes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, go go Erlang. Um, yeah, so it's it's every every Monday at twelve uh, Eastern. Um, yeah, it's at what twitch.tv slash smartlogictv. Uh, I think there'll be a link somewhere. Um, but yeah, follow, follow that. And I think it sends out notifications when I go live.
0: Nice. So what are some of the, have you like learned any uh, kind of lessons just going through the process of live coding? Cause like, you know, it's like, I, I, I know when I sit down at a computer with and do pair programming, and there's someone watching me type my <laughs> typing skills go demonstrably worse <laughs> so i don't know what, what's it been like for you
1: um i haven't had that happen um i don't know if it's the first few streams obviously had like one or two people watching uh and it's like started to, to have an uptake um but I definitely also have if I, know, if I like see the person or like specifically know the person who I'm talking to watching me type, my typing also degrades, but for some reason that hasn't happened with this. <laughs> so <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, I guess since it's just anonymous people that I, I don't even know who they are watching, maybe that helps. <laughs>
2: yeah. This episode is brought to you by Triple Byte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take-home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies, from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus.
0: So are you able to take any... Um uh, do, are you getting like feedback where people can ask questions how how interactive is that like if if i if I were uh, wanted to watch someone do some elixir coding i'm kind of newer to elixir so I could kind of watch the thought process and how you do it. Would I be able to ask you questions
1: yeah yeah so um, <clears throat> last week um, for the remainder thirty minutes, I think uh, I think that was the same one, but for the last one, I kind of went through. Um, there were two new people to Elixir in the chat and they were talking. Um, and so I just kind of walked through like what a supervision tree was and like how that works and like showed a process crashing and how it was self-contained and like didn't touch anything else in the system. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, if you pop in and have a specific question and want to see it guided elsewhere, then, uh, yeah, definitely can, can do that. I was going to
3: mention, since we're talking about the live coding, um, I pasted a link that should show up in the show notes. That is uh, Suze Hinton, I think is her name. Uh, it's lessons from my first year of live coding on Twitch, and it goes through her whole setup, and it's really, really nice. It's, um, it's just good in general for, hey, you want to do a, a Twitch stream. Here's some really good tools and how you can use them.
1: If only I had found this two months ago.
3: <laughs> it was it was there for the finding, but I only found it a couple days ago.
1: Yeah, I, I use um, OBS... To grab a single desktop, um, which surprisingly works well in Linux. Uh,
0: I know. OBS is awesome. <laughs> yeah, you can do like the picture-in-picture kind of like window of yourself up there yep. and overlay it all real time.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I have, I have myself in the corner so that you can at least see that someone is there. Um, yeah,
3: me in the corner.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just put a, drop, uh, drop a link
0: to that in the show notes, but that's obsproject.com. It's a great tool, it's cross platform.
3: Oh, so I had a question about your update for Xventure. You mentioned that you, built, you, you created a, a Docker release and in the blog post you say that you push this Docker release up to S3. Is, I, I didn't see in the Travis where that happened.
2: Um, uh, but...
1: Yeah, so in, in the Travis, um, uh, I think that is specifically set up to, uh, through my config outside of, of that YAML file, it does the archive publishing. Um, but if you look at the release.sh script, uh, so it builds the release inside of Docker uh, and then starts a container that just runs true, copies the release out of it into the temp folder and then kills the container. Um, so that's that's how it, so the release xventure.tar.gz is sitting inside of the temp folder and Travis knows that that is a thing it should publish to S3 and so that's how that works.
3: So I was curious, have you thought about pushing it to Docker Hub or somewhere more, um, I guess, Docker friendly?
1: So it's I'm not actually running the Docker container, I guess, as Xventure. Um, that is also a thing that sort of exists through uh, more development only at the moment. But um, I'm just using Docker to build the release and then pull the release out of it.
3: Ah, uh, Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yep. Uh, so that way it's at least a common Debian stretch, I think is what it ends up being. Um, Cause I, I had originally been just this dot release script used to just run mix release production or whatever. And then I was building it on an Arch machine. Everything was happy pushing to an Ubuntu 18.04 until Arch updated to open SSL 1.3 or something uh, and everything broke. <laughs> So, this way it's at least more consistent and should work on any kind of Debian Ubuntu system that's up to date, is the hope.
0: I will say, so I use Arch Linux as my laptop and desktop. It's like, I it's what I enjoy using. Nice. Um, uh, but uh, but I will, I, will I, I have run into the issue before where Arch updates things like the version of Postgres and oh now my my app that i'm working on is broken until i migrate to the new version of postgres
1: yeah you can you can peg postgres or you can just say hey don't update that arch
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, so one of the things i found i just want to mention this as uh, an idea for anyone because it doesn't have to be because you're running on like a a bleeding edge uh linux distribution but it's uh just i will often run my um databases out of docker instances where I'll just have my Docker running Postgres, I might have a Docker running MySQL, because then I can easily start and stop them and they stay on whatever version I want them to be on. It's just, I don't know, I like it because it gives me more explicit control, especially around versioning.
3: Yeah, it's also super, I don't don't do that, but uh, I have some occasions where it would be nice to do that because for instance, the um, Google Cloud SQL Postgres instance runs uh, Postgres 9.6 and none of my machines run Postgres 9.6. Uh, yeah. which generally is kind of okay until I try to do something involving a database dump and import and then stuff goes horribly wrong because they change things because they can because it's a major version.
0: Right. Yeah. And and you might not be, uh you might be using a feature that you're not aware is not available in an older release.
1: Yep. Yeah. We have a lot of, we had one system that was stuck on Elasticsearch 2.4 and they're on like six now. <laughs> um <laughs> So the only way to actually use it was through Docker. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend that approach.
3: The thing I like about Arch is it forces me to keep everything updated because everything's just master all the time.
0: Yes, I love it. I keep everything's up to date. Like I've had more reliable, long like years of running system over an Ubuntu system, like an LTS even. It's like I don't know why, but it's like Arch just seems to. Now it's not always been true. I have had issues, but anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I think I've had uh three, maybe four, like uh oh, this won't boot in like six years.
3: <laughs> yeah, but those yeah. are just fun mornings. True. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um I I also had like 12 of them in like two months running Ubuntu on the same like hardware. So there we go. <laughs>
3: But before I uh, have to feel people telling me that you should just use OS 10 because it just works with the capital letters, um, I should mention that I spent five hours this morning dealing with the fact that my Mac wouldn't release 137 gigabytes of disk space. Uh, and it was hidden from me. And it turned out to be time machine local syncs or something, but it took me five hours to figure out even where that stuff was on disk.
1: You just yep. got to use a uh, do,
3: the DU command. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's it for our podcast on operating systems. <laughs> I, have a, I have a question for you. And I, I just cut off Mark, but I'm okay with that. Um, so what outside of, um, of XVenture and, and Grapevine, what have you been looking at in the Elixir space, be it libraries or other projects that just interest you in the last few weeks?
1: Sure. Let me uh, pull up a mix file and see what i pulled in <laughs> um let's see so i think it's m- mostly been prometheus i think yeah yep um i did use a pretty cool app called porcelain uh which is a, r- a wrapper around using um ports yeah ports and yeah
0: so porcelain is an interesting Sorry. i have used that before it uh it's a I'm trying to find a link to it right now. What yeah, you- it,
1: it calls out to the system shell through a way that doesn't fork your process, I think, and is way better than whatever standard Erlang will do, to my knowledge. Um, <clears throat> there's also a Go library that can wrap the outside of, of porcelain. Uh, I forget what they called it, but I think it's something... Goon. Sorry?
3: It's called Goon yeah so you, oh, I oh, used porcelain back in the day i wrote a um sort of a, a terminal pass through via phoenix channels and i couldn't get it to work with the normal ports i'm sure that someone could uh but i i fell over to porcelain and all of the things that were causing me grief stopped causing me grief and it's been a lot of years and i don't remember what those were
1: <laughs> yeah um yeah i specifically used porcelain for image magic stuff um because I, I didn't particularly like how I previously uploaded files to S3 and wanted to like hand do it to see if I could make it better. Uh, don't know if I made it better, but it at least works. <laughs>
0: that is one thing that's worth talking about um, just with Elixir and development that like with Python or Ruby shelling out and running an, an external application or process is really simple. And... I would say it's less simple with Elixir. See,
3: I feel differently. I feel like it felt like it was kind of going against the grain when I did it in Ruby specifically, Python, not at all, yeah. uh, but Ruby specifically. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just a failing of mine, but it felt, it always felt awkward for me. And um, it feels like to me that the the Erlang VM is just made to do it because it is made to do it. Like it's a, a very common thing uh, to to have these, just long running processes that you talk to over, over port. And um, so to me, I w- okay. I will say maybe the default shelling out behavior uh, feels a little bit funky, but anything where you are interfacing with a long running process, because of the supervision, I suppose uh, yes. I, I find that it's way more comfortable in Elixir to, to talk to other uh, binaries that I've written.
0: And that is, that is an excellent distinction because there is like the, I just want to run like maybe even like a bash command, right? Just do an LS of something. Um, But then when you're, when you have those long running processes, like say, I have a situation where we're saying, I want to run, you know, we're moving, migrating a Ruby application to an Elixir application. And there's some business logic that is still in Ruby. And what we've been able to do is actually just kind of wrap that up into some Ruby scripts and be able to. Uh, kind of start up that and using a a port, we can just kind of talk to the application that way. And just... Have you...
3: Sorry. Have you looked at BERT RPC? What is that again? BERT RPC. uh, Binary Erlang terms RPC. It's a thing from uh, one of the founders of GitHub, and I've forgotten which one. Uh, But they used... uh, They clearly used Erlang a lot internally at GitHub early, and I assume they still do. and it is just a very simplistic way of doing RPC between different uh, languages, mm-hmm. um, either to each other, which it works very well for, or to an Erlang sort of orchestrator. Um, and that, that has historically been what I did when I wanted to wrap up a, a Ruby script. And I recently did it with a Python script. And I think I even mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. So, oops.
0: No, that's cool. Uh, can you kind of share a little uh, bit I'll, more about how they might approach that?
3: Yeah, so I'm dropping a link into it now, uh, although there is a more prob- probably canonical link that Mark dropped. Um, and this is the Ruby client, but yeah, basically it, it makes it very trivial to offer yourself up as a service and then talk to that service from another language. Um, and it's just very nice. runs a just runs a server. So what I use BERT for, not BERT RPC, but uh, recently I have, um, you know, we're mentioning shelling out. I have a need to read a lot of data from these PDF files. So we have, like, 50-page PDF files that we extract, I don't know, maybe maybe three pages worth of data out of. Uh, no, probably more like six or seven. That doesn't matter. Anyway, but um, – and his, previously I was uh, – returning a very simplistic data structure from a Python script uh, using Python to get data out of a PDF is way easier than than anything I've found in Elixir. And um, yeah, so I was I was doing that. And I ultimately had to return more complicated data. And it suddenly justified bringing in BERT. um, And it took maybe an hour and all of a sudden I could return something that I could trivially parse into a struct on, on the Elixir side once I got it back and had sort of rich data, not just a list of I was returning a CSV previously, and then I needed more data. Um, and it just makes everything super, super nice when you want to do cross-language uh, communication with a trivial encoding and decoding, especially if the host language you're looking for is Erlang.
0: That is that is really cool. It's a great resource. I'm going to have to look at that one because I have not been using BERT or PC. So, Eric, I know one of the other things that you guys at... Uh, smart logic have been doing is you started a podcast
1: yeah so we just started um, it's the most clever name ever but uh, smart software with smart logic Um, we're doing a season-based approach to to podcast so the first season is centered all around elixir and production Um, we we actually interviewed uh, mark here for one of the episodes um, kind of talking about uh, everything uh, you do for uh, your stuff at work. Um, we also interviewed uh, Frank from Frank Honleth from Nerves uh, to get a, a completely different take on elixir in production. Different kind um, of production, right? Yeah, <laughs> devices devices that uh, are in places you may not be able to get to, <laughs> um, and and kind of figure out how to understand or how to uh, secure them too as best as you can, um, and then. Uh, there's a local company here. I think they're local, uh, called Cluster Truck, that does food stuff, and they have some um, stuff in Elixir. We talk with uh, Brooklyn Zelenka uh, about her new company um, and the stuff that they're doing. Um, uh, Todd from Weed Maps, T- Todd Rustek. <laughs>
0: yeah, he pre- he presented at one of the Elixir conferences. Yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Uh just, just being aware of what their product is is interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And all all the uh we got to, we got to hear a story about how one uh April the twentieth, <laughs> uh they went down and then decided that, that they had to figure out how to get off of Rails and onto something that was more performant and ended up at Elixir and and every April the twentieth after they've been fine. So <laughs>
3: really
1: fine. Um, yeah. And there's a few other guests. We'll, we'll kind of, uh, leave them as a reason to go, go subscribe and and see what comes down the pipeline.
0: Awesome. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about? We've covered a a number of different topics, kind of run the gamut.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll just put another little plug before we finish up of, um, Go to my GitHub, you can find xVenture, Grapevine. Um, Grapevine actually does clustering now, as I mentioned. So you can see the the weird approach I picked for that, which hopefully is good. But, uh, so you can see uh, uh, two different flavors of a clustered application, xVenture does. Anyways, um, so yeah, they're, they're all available, MIT. Go check them out.
3: All right, uh, do we want to move on to Pix? Yes,
0: let's go to Pix. Josh, do you want to go?
3: Yes, I do. I really, really do this time because I'm going to link you to a thing called Goma. And Goma, are you familiar with the web machine? Which is, uh, was this Erlang, or is an Erlang library for uh, building web applications that maps directly to the HTTP spec and is rather, rather neat. So Goma is that, but for Gopher. So I figure we're talking about old school technology uh, I did. A, I built a Gopher server once for fun using Goma in Elixir, and it was uh, useless, but really fun. So you um, will not use this at work, just so it's clear. But um, it's it's really fun. So I just thought I thought I'd link to it. Yeah,
0: it looks like uh, the project has been mature and solid for
1: at least the last six years.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an April Fool's joke in the first place, but it still it works.
1: That's amazing.
3: And it was an excuse it was an excuse for me to read the gopher spec and I, I like to read uh specs generally and uh yeah, so uh
1: I can I can recommend a spec for you. It's called Telnet. It's like 800 pages long. Uh <laughs> you'll never implement all of it, but someone has
3: <laughs> somewhere. <laughs>
0: Or at least the yeah. feature that you haven't and they will complain.
3: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I started a project reading through uh, RFCs from from RFC one and that was a lot of fun. But uh, eventually I ran out of time and it, it turns out that it wasn't benefiting me a whole lot because there was like there's a great one every twenty.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's also like uh, I had stumbled across a RFC for Telnet something, like some extension, and then found out that it's really easy to miss the, this was obsoleted by at the very top, and then you click, and then you click, and then you click, and then like 12 RFCs later, you're finally at the one that's like actually finished and was finished in like 94. (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: Well, I was gonna share one. This is um, kind of in the vein of talking about uh, libraries and a lot of the different things like both the ones that you're writing and open sourcing and other ones that we're referencing and using. Uh, there's one that was recently released by Plataforma Tech uh, called Broadway, and they, this has been announced on their blog, and I just want to make people aware of this in case this is uh, a, a thing that you actually would benefit from. So just to kind of summarize from uh, their announcement, they're saying Broadway was mainly designed to help developers build concurrent multi-stage data ingestion and data processing pipelines. It allows developers to consume data efficiently from different sources such as Amazon SQS, RabbitMQ, and others. So it is a uh, an interesting tool. Like if you're dealing, if you're in that space where you're dealing with like streaming in from queues, normally you would just use GenStage, but then you always had to handle these uh, difficult kind of edge cases. And this library, it's like a .1 release, so it's very new, but it is one of those where it's like, hey, that might actually solve the problem for you because they're kind of trying to standardize some of those, those problems that they solve. So Broadway is something to check out. And Eric, do you have something?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, I will uh, pick, um, <clears throat> I also help run a unconference called Rest Fest. Um, we just announced dates for the Midwest Rest Fest <laughs> uh, in Grand Rapids at the end of May. Um, so this is a, a tiny little unconference, uh, where everyone talks, everyone kind of collaborates together, um, about any kind of web API that you s- so desire, um, GraphQL or, uh, REST or Hypermedia or, or whatever you want. Um, yeah, so there's one in, in Grand Rapids, there's one in South Carolina in Greenville. Um, so if, if anyone's close to those, uh, I definitely suggest you give it a look. Awesome.
0: Well, Eric, it was a pleasure talking with you again and getting an update on what X-Venture is doing and what you're up to. And uh, if people would like to follow you online or connect with you, where would you like them to go?
1: Sure, so I'm on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash Eric Ostrich. Uh, there's an E after the O. Uh, the rest is like Ostrich. <laughs> um,
3: uh,
1: otherwise, there's links on xventure.org to find me in numerous places there's i think a discord that would that we have a few people learning elixir in um so yeah awesome
0: well that's it for today and we hope you'll join us next week with elixir mix
2: bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit dot com to learn more